All right, I'd like to invite you to open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. That's where we'll be uh, this morning in Ephesians chapter 1. It's in the New Testament. If you're using one of the Bibles that we provided for you, that'll be on page 976. So page 9, there's some Bibles there in the rows uh, that we've, uh, we've provided for you, and that'll be on page 976. And as you turn there, I want you to think about uh, just this time of the year. Obviously, this is Easter Sunday, and as, as Christians, it's a great time for us to celebrate not only the death of Christ but, and, and all that that means for us, but the resurrection of Christ. And by the way, uh, we do not celebrate the resurrection only on Easter Sunday. I mean, this is something we celebrate every single Sunday. This is the gospel. It's what we're all about as Christians and as a church. But, but the Easter season is a, is a great time of the year. You know, not only uh, do, we, do we get to come together and worship this risen Lord, but, uh, but it's just a, a nice time in general to, to enjoy, you know, the, the, the rising temperatures, the sun is coming out more often. We really appreciate this in greater Boston, right? And, uh, and, and I think we would all probably agree that, that we've had it pretty good weather-wise lately, right? I mean, just think about it. We've been here for two years now, and last winter, we get absolutely pounded. I mean, multiple blizzards, uh, the, 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 the snow is piled up, you know, uh, six, seven, eight feet in some places, just kind of crazy weather. And then this winter, we barely have any snow. Pretty, pretty nice. Um, the only, the only th- kind of weather factor that was quite bizarre this year, if you remember back last August, was Hurricane Irene moving up the eastern seaboard, coming for New England. And thankfully, by the time she got here, she had weakened and it became a tropical storm. But at the same time, we still had wind gusts. Do you remember this? Anyone remember Hi- Irene? We had wind gusts, 50, 60, almost 70 miles per hour which did what? It caused a lot of homes, nearly 500,000 homes in New England, including yours truly, to be without power. And some of those homes were without power for a fairly significant amount of time. And so what, what happens when the power goes out? Well, uh, you know, we have to stock up on supplies. We have to pile up on batteries. We have to go and find, you know, look in all the drawers and cabinets to find that one flashlight that we think we still have, you know, somewhere. And it is just kind of a, a process, right? We have to boil water to drink and, and all when the, when the power goes out. And, you know, if we're being honest, we would say when that happens, it's not necessarily the, the biggest deal in the world, right? I mean, I mean, all in all, it's just, it's just not that big of a deal. Sure, it creates some inconveniences for us, but at the end of the day, it's just not that big of a deal. But, but I want us to think about this idea of, of power. You see, it's, it's one thing when the power goes out in your home and you have to deal with that. It's another thing when the power goes out in your life. See, you may not realize this this morning, but, but God desires each of us to live with power. Power is the ability, the, 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 the capacity to affect change around us. And we all love power. We all want power. And I would even say that we crave power. We, we, hopefully, there is something within us that wants to make a difference among those around us. And this is what Paul is going to talk about in Ephesians 1 this morning. 
Last week, if you remember, we looked at the scandalous power of the cross, that Jesus is for us, the wisdom and the power of God. This week, we want to move from the scandalous power of the cross to the scandalous power of the empty tomb. And as we jump into Ephesians 1, the the primary encouragement that I have for, for you, for all of us this morning, is that we would live our lives with the power that God supplies. That's what, I, that's what I hope that each of us will take away this morning, is to say, you know what? God wants me to have a powerful life, and I can live my life with power through the grace and the power that he supplies us. And so if you would, read verses 15 through the first part of 18, read along with me as I start in Ephesians chapter 1. This is what Paul writes. He says this, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. So here we've, we've just read a few verses, and I know some of you are already thinking, wait, hold up. Like this is Easter Sunday, Pastor Tanner. Like what, why aren't we in the Gospels? Why are we reading an account of the resurrection of Christ? Like why are we reading a prayer that Paul is praying for these believers in Ephesus? And I think if you'll just kind of hold on, and as we trek through the, the text, I think it's going to become really clear the rationale behind why we're in Ephesians 1 this morning. And, and what Paul begins with is he, he says, for this reason, what we need to understand is he, is he is referring back to everything that he has just laid out in verses 3 through 14 of chapter 1. You can look back at verse 3 and kind of find a summary statement. He is so pumped up about the gospel and what God has done for these Ephesians. He says, look, you have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Pretty good deal. And he goes on and he just kind of unpacks that. He says that they have been chosen, made holy and blameless, loved, predestined, adopted, given redemption and forgiveness, lavished with grace, united with Christ, obtained an inheritance, saved, sealed with the Holy Spirit. All of this is true for the Ephesians now because of Jesus, because of the the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so because of this, Paul is is looking at all of these spiritual benefits and he wants to give God thanks and praise for these realities. But on the other hand, he wants to offer this intentional, strategic, and I would say very bold prayer for the Ephesian Christians there. And, And this is how he starts off. You can see that he's thankful because they possessed faith in the Lord Jesus and love toward all the saints. So they were placing faith in Christ. They were were looking to him as the source of their righteousness and salvation. They were actively depending on Jesus for their very life. And this is the essence of what it means. This is kind of the starting point and, and, and the middle point and the end point of the Christian life. This is what Paul goes on to say in chapter 2, 8 and 9. He says, for by grace you have been saved. How's that, Paul? It's by faith. 
It's, it's the gift of God, not of yourselves, so that no one can boast. And so Paul is thankful that the believers there have possessed faith, which now radically reorients their relationship with God. But then on the other hand, he says, you also have love for all the saints. This is a beautiful thing. This is what the gospel does. The gospel not only radically reorients our relationship with God, but it also radically reorients our relationship with one another. Now we have faith in God. We have a love for God that we never had. And we have a love for others that we never knew before we met Jesus Christ. And so this is what Paul is, 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 is fired up about. So much so that in verse 16, look back at verse 16, he says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Now, what does he pray for them? He goes on in verse 17 to, to tell us. He says, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. So a couple things here. Number one, we direct our prayers to God through Jesus Christ. And why do we do this? It's because God is sovereign over all things. He calls the shots. He runs the show. He has all of the resources in the world contained in himself and everything that we have in our lives, we could say both physically and certainly spiritually, everything we have comes from his gracious hand. And so Paul knows, hey, if, if this is gonna happen here, then it has to come by the grace of God through Christ. And then he, he, he says that he wants them to have the spirit of wisdom and of revelation, in, in other words, uh, he wants them to grow in their, in their spiritual wisdom and insight. And this is going to happen through their knowledge of God. Hopefully you would agree, there is no more important knowledge than we can have in life than our knowledge of God. A.W. Tozer says, the most important thing, think about this, hope you agree, the most important thing about us is what comes to our mind when we think of, uh, of God, okay? So, so what comes into your mind when you think of God? Do you, do you know God? Are you growing in your knowledge of God? Everything that's going to follow here, and there's a lot in this passage, everything that follows is predicated on our knowledge of God, growing in our knowledge of Him, and so then in verse 18, he says, well, this is going to happen by having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. You see, according to Paul, there is seeing and there is seeing. For Paul, you might be able to see with your physical eyes and yet remained blind, spiritually speaking. I mean, we need to consider this, right? There, there is sight with our physical eyes and there is sight with the eyes of our heart, our spiritual eyes. And this is what Paul's talking about in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 7. He says this, what about, he says, we walk by faith, not by sight. And so Paul wants them to grow in their knowledge of God. He wants them to see what God has done for those who believe. But then he's going to get specific in verse 18. 
So if, if the first encouragement for us is to see what God has done for those who believe, then there are certain things that he wants us to see, certain things that he wants us to know. And that brings us to the second, second encouragement for us this morning in verse 18, and that is to know the hope and the glorious riches of those who believe. Look at verse 18. He says this again, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you and what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. So Paul is gonna ask God that they would have this threefold understanding, knowledge. And the first two are unpacked here in verse 18. He first prays that they would know the hope of their calling. What is hope? Hope is this confident expectation in God's ability to fulfill his promises. This is is what is so huge for us as believers, that once we come to trust Christ and live our lives for God through this faith in him, then we have this newfound hope. Hope of abundant life, day after day after day. Hope of eternal life with God forever. Hope that we will see and experience with our own eyes, our own lives, this new heavens and new earth where the complete restoration of all things will take place. There will be no more evil, no more suffering in the world. We will see this and partake of this with Christ. We have a great hope. I love what someone has said once. They said, the future is as bright as the promises of God. This is our hope. The hope that we have been called to. What does he mean by that? What is is calling in the New Testament? Primarily, see, this call goes forth for all people to know God and know why God created them and have this relationship with God. And those who respond to this message and believe the gospel, Paul calls those people called by God and his grace. And so he wants them to know this this awesome hope that we've been called to. But then secondly, he prays that they would know what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. We might hit pause here and just say, okay, Paul, what do you mean this inheritance? Is this our inheritance? Like he spoke of in verse 13 and 14? Or is this God's inheritance. I mean, after all, he says this is the glorious, his glorious inheritance in the saints. And so I want you to think about this this morning. You have value to God. As someone who is made in the very image of God, created in his likeness, created with a capacity for relationship and love, creativity, morality. We, we reflect who God is, and, and for that very reason alone, we have great, great value to God. Even if no one else loves you in your life, even if no one else care, cares about you, or you feel like you're valued by anyone else, know that you are valued by God. But, but the, the text specifically says that the, the glorious inheritance of God is his people. It's his church. This is, this is the inheritance of God. And so we need to know the hope of our calling. We need to know this glorious inheritance. That's point two, really quickly. But we're gonna camp out and chill on 
the third encouragement for us. Not only should we know this hope and this glorious riches that, that belong to those who believe, we should live with the power God gives to those who believe. Look back in verse 19, and this is where he picks up. He says, not only the hope and the inheritance, but, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. So here you have it, this threefold knowledge, hope, riches, and power. Power. It says that this power is toward us. It is the possession of those who place their faith in Jesus Christ. And as we will see, Paul is going to spend some, some serious amount of time un, un, unpacking exactly what this power looks like. And you ask the question, why does he do this? Why doesn't he spend more power, more time on, on hope or the inheritance? Why is it that he dwells on power? Well, I think it's because primarily this is where we kind of dwell on a daily basis now. This is, this is our present situation. We need to know this power. And look at how he describes it. He says it's the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might. I mean, did you, did you catch all that? I mean, Paul, it's like Paul cannot stack enough terms. He used four different words. And I don't want to get too technical here, but there are four words alone in verse 19 that point to the potency of this power that God has given those who believe in him. It's quite amazing. He's referring to the unlimited power of God. And this power is, is, is at work to affect change in us and also change through us. And it doesn't take him long to just continue to, 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 to explain exactly what this power looks like. He, he, he says, look, hey, you want to know about this power? Let me give you the example of where this power was displayed in a greater way than any other. And he moves right to the resurrection. Look what he says in verse uh, 20. He says, this power is the power that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Do you get that? I mean, are you feeling that like at all? The power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is available to all who believe. It's a staggering truth. It's a mind-blowing, mind-bending truth. That power belongs to us. Think about the resurrection this morning. This is Easter Sunday. This is what we celebrate. I mean, this is what we confess in the creed. Jesus was suffered. He suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified. He was dead and buried. And then on the third day, by the power of God, he rose again to life. The only one who rose again in this type of way. You say, well, what about, you know, Jairus' daughter? What about Lazarus? Well, they rose to die again. Jesus rose to never die again. 
It's the power of the gospel. (laughs) Raised to life. The power of death was devastated in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is the central tenet of our faith. This is a non-negotiable of our faith. And it makes all the difference for us. It changes everything for us. Let me hit just a few implications of the resurrection for us. Number one, his resurrection gives us hope. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. How's that? Does that that work for you? What, what, What about this? His resurrection guarantees that everything we do for him is not in vain. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. What does Paul say? Therefore, be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor for him is not in vain. Here's another implication, and this one is perhaps the best of them all. His resurrection guarantees our resurrection. He says in John 14, verse 19, because I live, you will live. You see that? When God causes someone to have new life through faith in Christ, he gives us this whole new reality and experience where now we have life in him. We have abundant life, eternal life, and we will forever remain with God, be with God. We will one day have this resurrected body like Christ that will be glorified forever. And so Paul says, look, this power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in you. It is toward you who believe. But he doesn't stop there. Look, look on back at verse 20. He says, it also, what? Seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, referring to the ascension of Christ. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and all. Now, we don't have a ton of time to unpack all of this in detail, but let me just give you a few observations. The power that raised Christ from the dead is the power that raised him, and the power by which he ascended to the right hand of the Father, and he reigns over all things, like right now. He's reigning right now at the right hand of the Father. Added to that, Paul says, he dominates all other spiritual forces. He is over everything. And then he he gets specific and he says, look, Jesus' name is elevated over every other name. And, And hey, Ephesians, don't just think this is like today for this age. This is for every age. Name a name. Name the most powerful people in the world right now and the most powerful people to come, and Jesus' name is elevated and triumphs over every single name. You say, why is this important? Well, we all 
crave attention, right? We all crave notoriety. We all want to have our name in lights. But at the end of the day, the name of Christ is the one that ascends over all the rest. And it would be really wise for us to get connected with that name, to live for that name. I mean, we want to make much of ourselves, right? We want to, to kind of shine before others. And, and God says, you know, the, the way that you will shine before others is to make not much of your name, but to make much of his name. His is the name that is above every single name. He has no rivals. He is the dethronable, now, excuse me, undethronable. I made this word up. That's why I just couldn't, couldn't get it, all right? He is the undethronable, death-proof king. How do you like that? He's un- I, mean, I made that word up, death-proof came from someone else, but this is Jesus. He's God. He reigns over all. And then Paul wraps up and he says, look, this Jesus is the head of the church. He leads his church with complete authority. And this is good news for Redemption Hill. Why? Because this isn't, you know, Tanner's mission. This isn't John's mission. This isn't the staff's mission. This isn't the member's mission. This isn't the people who come on Sunday's mission. This is the mission of Christ. And so this is why we have complete confidence as a new church in Memphis that God is going to do great things in and among and through us. Why? Because Jesus leads the mission. This is his deal. So you say, well, Tanner, look, you're talking all this theology, resurrection, ascension, Christ reigning, name above all names. What does this have to do with me? Remember, this power that accomplishes all of those realities is the same. You're not buying it yet, are you? It's just, too, it's just too amazing. This is the power that's at work in us. So my question for you is, like, do you know this power? Do you live like you know this power? I want to try to help us have just a couple of handles on this staggering truth, okay? Two things to consider, and I hope you'll take these home with you, all right? Number one, all of the resources of God are available to us. You see that? All of the resources of God are available to us. Peter puts it like this in 2 Peter 1.3. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who created us to his own glory, who called us to his own glory and excellence. And again, think about this theologically. Paul is not praying that they would receive new power. This is not what's happening here. He's not saying, God, give them some new power. He's saying, God, help them to know the power that they already possess. If you're in Christ, this is a present possession for you. And this is good news. I mean, this is the gospel. It's the power that enables us to live life for God's glory. That's our creative purpose. And it's the power that helps us become progressively more and more and more like Christ. I want you to think about this. Why aren't there more people here? I mean, this is a great crowd. Easter Sunday is awesome. Hope you'll be back next Sunday and we'll have even more people than this. But 
sometimes I ask myself, why aren't more people, you know, coming to church on Sunday? Why aren't more people buying into the gospel of Jesus Christ? And I think if we're being honest, people would, would, would have to say, you know what, I'm not buying that because it doesn't seem very relevant to me. It doesn't really seem to, to make a difference. But Jesus and the life that he gives us is, is really as relevant as our next breath. Why is that? Because the gospel changes everything in our life. It changes the way that we love, the way that we speak, the way that we give, the way that we work, the way that we serve, the way that we parent. And the list could go on and on and on and on and on. But the reason that many people aren't buying it is that they are not consistently seeing the real thing. And this is where the church has to look in the mirror and say, am I living with the power of Christ day in and day out? Jesus brings transformation. All of the resources of God are available to us. Which leads to a second and a little more of a harsh point, but it's hopefully helpful. If all the resources of God are available to us, then what does that mean? It means that we are left without excuse. We have no excuse. But, but I can't. I can't change. But it's, it's so hard. So you're telling me that the power that raised Jesus from the dead at work in you cannot help you overcome your struggles, your temptations, your addictions. Is that, is that how it works? Think again. Think again. This power is available to us, and, and, it, and it leaves us without excuse. I know we've all been there, including, including me where our spiritual life seems like this spiritual roller coaster where we're just going up and down and up and down and up and down. We feel like we have no consistency, man. Our devotional life is all out of whack. We, we, we're not fulfilling, you know, the, the, the life that God has called us to live. We're saying, man, what's up with this? Man, am I ever going to change? Am I, am I ever going to get it? And what Ephesians 1 wants to say to you this morning is that, look, you can get it, you can live it, because God has given you everything that you need. What a beautiful, beautiful truth. The power of God is available for us to consistently live in a way that is consistent with the gospel. You got it? We can consistently live in a way that is consistent with the gospel because of this power. And so here's what I, I want to do to wrap, wrap us up. I want to give you a quote from Jim Elliott. He was a missionary to Ecuador back in the 50s or so. And uh, he wrote this piercing statement that is so reflective of our text this morning. He, he, he says this, We are so utterly ordinary, so commonplace, while we profess to know a power the 20th century does not reckon with, we are spiritual pacifists, non-militants, conscientious objectors in this battle to the death with principalities and powers in high places. Meekness must be had for contact with men, but brass 
outspoken boldness is required to take part in the comradeship of the cross. We are sideliners, coaching and criticizing the real wrestlers while content to sit by and leave the enemies of God unchallenged. Now listen to this. The world cannot hate us. We are too much like its own. Oh, that God would make us dangerous. So what is, what is Elliot saying here? He's saying, get in the game. Live your life and make a difference because Christ is in you. You have everything you need. The life of God can flow through you by the power of the Holy Spirit to affect all kinds of change for the work of God, the fruit of the Spirit to come out of your life. And your life, when this happens, when we really get this, your life will never be the same and the lives of those around you will never be the same. Have you ever considered that how you're doing with God necessarily affects everyone around you? It's just a, it's just a law. It's a law of the universe that God has made. Just think about it and live it out this week. Oh, that God would make us dangerous. And listen, this, is, this could definitely be, you know, taken wrongly. Elliot is not suggesting that we inflict harm on anyone. He's dealing with spiritual realities. He's saying we need to push back the darkness all around us and we can live a life with great liberality. Say, so what do you mean? This is what I mean. As Christians, we can be as liberal as we want with love. We can be as liberal as we want with mercy. We can be as liberal as we want with kindness. Liberal as we want with forgiveness. Liberal as we want with good deeds. There's just no limit on those things for us now. And this is what an unbelieving world needs to see to, make, to, to see that the gospel is so credible and believable and life-changing and life-giving. And so this powerful, dangerous life, what does it look like? It's just one encouragement because if you're like me, sometimes you live on this, in this kind of realm of wanting to see all kinds of spiritual fireworks happening around you, right? Where, man, if I'm not doing big things for God and, and it's really evident and people all around me see all this happening in my life and through my life, then I must not have this power. Well, listen to this. Don't miss this. A powerful Christian life is made up of thousands of little moments, thousands of little decisions that reflect the character of Christ and bring glory to God. That's where the powerful Christian life is. It's being patient with your spouse or patient when you're driving through Boston traffic, right? I mean, it's... it's, 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 it's being kind to that person at work that just gets on your nerves to no end like every day. This is the powerful Christian life. It's loving all people, even loving your enemies, even spending time with those people that don't look like you, talk like you, smell like you. This is, this is the powerful Christian life. Thousands of little moments, thousands of little decisions. And so let me ask you, do you know this power? 
Perhaps you've come this morning, you're kind of seeking God, you're, you're open to the idea of Christ and Christianity. You may be waffling a little bit on, hey, is this thing real and should I buy into this? And was Jesus really, you know, uh, did he really die for my sin on the cross? Was he really raised from the dead? And if that's you, I want to say, look, this is real. This life is available to you through Christ. And this powerful life is also available to you. And so if you're, if you're wondering, man, is this worth it? Like, is it, would it be worth it to, to deny myself and take up my cross? I mean, this is a serious call that Christ gives to his followers. Listen to one final quote from Ellie. It's so good. He says this, He is no fool who gives up that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Every sacrifice that you would make for Christ, every time you would say no to yourself or no to the things of this world, that you might uh, live your life for God and express faith in him, it is gain every single time. We, in reality, though we may make great sacrifices for Christ, it is really no sacrifice at all. Why? Because the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. I mean, Matthew 13, 44, one of my favorites, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has so that he can buy that field. What is the claim there? If the claim is that the gospel, the kingdom of God, Christ, is the greatest treasure that we could ever find or obtain. And so I pray if you're, if you're kind of waffling on this Jesus question, that you would see that, that God would open the eyes of your heart to see that it is not only worth it, it is more than worth it. It is infinitely worth it. Jesus is the greatest treasure. So if you need to, if you need to like, what better day than Easter Sunday just to take that step of faith? To say, you know what? Hey, I'm going to stop messing around and playing games with God. I am going to commit my life to Christ and call Jesus Lord, believing that he died for my sins. He was raised from the dead. But I also want to speak to those who are in the faith, to those who have believed, who call Jesus Lord. Listen, do, do you live your life with this kind of power? This is the life that God is calling all of us to live. And I can't wait to see what happens when we as a church buy into this message, and day by day by day, albeit imperfectly, we live in the power that God gives. This is the scandalous power of the empty tomb of Jesus. Let's pray. God, we ask that you would make these truths real to us. Father, we can, we can hear another sermon. Man, we can... We can do this, this deal again, Sunday after Sunday. But if you do not come and, and convince us of the truth and work this change into our heart, we'll leave the same way we came in. And so God, it's, it's our prayer that you would work in us, that you would bring this life-giving transformation to each of our hearts this morning that we might bring you much glory and make much of your name. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.